our time by actually reading the passage, Daniel chapter 5. Um, it's kind of long, but it's also short enough for us to read it. And I think it would be helpful if we read the whole thing before we talk about it. So, Daniel chapter 5, starting in verse 1. King Belteshazzar, um, and really quick uh, about that, that is not Daniel we're talking about. His name is Belteshazzar with a T in it. This is Belteshazzar. Uh, it can be confusing, I guess. But here we go. First one. King Belteshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Balthazar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be, bought, be, be, excuse me, be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belteshazzar was greatly alarmed that his color changed and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen, the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom, and whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Verse 13. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of those exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. 
Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Balthazar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose, all, and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed, mean, mean, tekel, and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mean. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to the end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Balthazar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Balthazar the Chaldean king was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Let's pray. Uh, Father, give us clarity as we consider these words. Help us, Father, to, uh, God, to lean in. Help us to calm our hearts, to fix our attentions towards you and what your word is speaking to us. We thank you for these students and this time to open the Bible, and we just pray it blesses you, Lord. Amen. When I was in first grade, I began riding the bus, and there is, uh, I think, like the first day of school, um, there were some boys in my class who were sitting in front of me, and I had my best friend, Louis Aguirre, next to me, and we were kind of like messing with each other, maybe like throwing some paper at each other, kind of like first grade boy stuff, and the bus driver kept saying, hey, boys in the, in the back, stop messing around, and warned us two or three times, and... Uh, then like the dreaded words came on boys in the back you're getting a bus ticket okay so he pulls over the bus at the first bus stop and he walks back and he, he's asking for everyone's names okay and he takes this kid's name down this came this name gets Lewis and he gets to me hey, what's your name Aaron Eric <laughs> he just nod right yeah sure that works and he takes the names and so I'm like a first grader, petrified. Like, I'm going to get in so much trouble. I'm, I'm, my parents are going to find out I have a bus ticket, like, on the first day of school. And so, like, my stomach is a knot, right? Like, I get home. My mom could tell something was off. Like, this is something bad happened the first day of school. No, you know. <laughs> and uh, I wake up. Like, I'm thinking, like, the bus driver's going to call that night. No phone call. The next day, I get on the bus, you know, I... Um, I try to like straighten out. Well, I don't sex with those boys anymore. I'm good. I'm like, don't talk. And uh, I get home. I'm still worried about the phone ringing. No phone call. 
third day and get on the bus. I remember specifically, he's like, hey, Eric. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, so kid you not, like, third day, no phone call. Fourth day, no phone call. Fourth day, I'm like, Psh. it's a first grader. Oh, he's, this guy forgot about whatever. It's like a Friday afternoon. I hear the, Ta-da. <laughs> and I just hear my mom answer. I hear the other one talking. Yeah, this is his mom. No, not Eric. Oh, really? Uh-huh. And just like, I was busted. I was busted. I, I, I mean, I got grounded for the weekend. As a first grader, I was like mortified. But for those days, three and four, I slept good. Because I, I thought I had escaped judgment. I thought that no judgment was coming, but I didn't. It eventually did come. And when I think about that story, the first time I, like, the first time of many, many times where I got in trouble with some type of authority, um, I sometimes think that we are kind of like that. And I think this story is a good picture of that. That when we do bad things, and whether we're alone and no one sees, or people do see, we kind of are banking on the fact that humans have a short-term memory, um, and that people just kind of forget, or that your parents uh, hopefully just kind of scoot over it, or nothing really happens. And I think when we look at Daniel chapter 5, like I said last week, it's a mirror image of chapter 4. Last week we saw Nebuchadnezzar have this opportunity to kind of repent from his sins, but instead he kind of uses this power and this authority he has to kind of just treat people however he wants, to, to have pride in his life. And what God does, he, he sends him out, we kind of get alluded to it in this chapter as well, sends him out to kind of like be like a wild animal for a couple, a couple of years, we get the, the picture, to humble him, to make Nebuchadnezzar know that the, the, the Lord is the one who sovereignly rules over everything. And so this picture is also a picture of, it's not actually his son, but it's a few generations later. This is probably about 25 years after the death of King Nebuchadnezzar, 70 years after Daniel chapter 1. And it's a picture of God saying, hey, Babylon, you remember what you did to my people? I haven't forgotten about that. I took notice of that. And although God delays his judgment at times, it does come. And so before we really kind of dive into this chapter, I know we read most of it, and so we kind of know the story now of what happens, I'd like to give some context. So like I said, this is about 25 years after King Nebuchadnezzar died. So last chapter we saw that he kind of went out to the wilderness, crazy man, probably smelled to high heaven, but he came back and he, and he lifted his, his heart to the Lord, he humbled himself, and the Lord kind of restored him for the last couple of years. I think there's been about four kings since then. So Daniel has put himself in a position where he has seen king come, king go, and now he's getting to the very end of the Israelites, or Judah, living in exile with this final king. And uh, a lot of scholarship has gone into chapter 5 because he mentions, if anyone can tell me the interpretation, they will become third in my kingdom. And a lot of people were kind of confused of why would he say third, but it probably has a lot of um, archaeological studies have shown that that Balthazar, this character, was probably co-reigning with his dad, uh, Nabondus, it's a weird name, 
And what they, they kind of co-ruled together the nation of Babylon. And so modern-day Saudi Arabia is where Namandis was, and modern-day Iran is where Balthazar was reigning. And so those two were the top two kind of co-leading and ruling this whole nation. And so by him offering Daniel, or whoever can interpret this dream, the third position is, is giving us the clue that the time of the Babylonians is ending. And so before we really dive into this passage, I don't know how many of you guys know the, the three rules of real estate. Anyone know? Location, location, location. You can have the biggest, best house, but if it's in a poor location, it's not going to be worth as much. And so the same thing when we are studying the Bible, it's all about context, context, context. To understand the meaning, we have to remember who is being spoken to, what are they struggling with. What exactly are they saying? What are they said before? What are they going to say after? Context, context, context. Who was Daniel chapter 5 being written to? Jews who were living in exile, wondering whether or not God was still faithful, still loving, that he was sovereign. And so the message that they would have heard in Daniel chapter 5 would be that we need to trust God to punish and take down evil. It's a message of encouragement to know that the Lord does not turn a blind eye to sin and to atrocities and to all the evil that sometimes even come by our own hands. And so all throughout Daniel chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, there is this this great picture of showing how God, Yahweh, is the only true God. And he is the only one who has power over everything. And so for us, for you, when we consider Daniel chapter 5, we have to remember this one main important point. That we need to trust God that he will punish and take down evil. No, how do I say this? Slow justice does not mean no justice. Slow justice does not mean no justice. So I want to divide this chapter up into three different sections, and I think that'll help us kind of dig through what some of these things might mean for us. All right, so we have this arrogant young king named Balthazar, okay? And so verses 1 through 12, I like to call the king's arrogance. So uh, it sounds like they're having a pretty dope party, right? They got a thousand people. I have yet been to a party of a thousand people. That sounds like a riot a little bit. Um, And so it sounds like they're letting the wine flow pretty good, all right? This is like uh, wine for you, wine for you. It's like a drunken brawl of a thousand people. They got their wives there. They got their concubines there, which I think is a little weird. they got their servants there and their wives there, and they're having the time of their life, all right? Now, I hope none of you experienced this, but I, when I was working in Chicago, I worked outside. Uh, I worked, I valeted, so we parked cars for restaurants, but we also had this account where we valeted for um, a nightclub. Um, let me tell you this, okay? This is like one of Aaron's proverbs. Nothing good happens at a nightclub. <laughs> 
Okay, so let me tell you something. When you drink a lot of alcohol, you have this little thing in your brain that says uh, rational thinking. This is a good idea. This is a bad idea. When you drink a lot of alcohol, that rational thinking just escapes you. It leaves. So you don't make good decisions, all right? So when I was working in this valet, I mean, I'm not going to describe it in the sermon because I'm recording this, but... Um, if you want to hear stories, oh, do I have stories for you. Like, you know that little book they give you when you graduate high school, oh, the places you'll go? Mine should have been like, oh, the things you'll see while you ballet. Um, some things, may I tell you. So alcohol, I mean, it does not lead to the best decisions. Uh, some people call it liquid courage because um, some things you'll never do in your right mind when you drink alcohol, you're like, I don't care. Um, it, it just drops your ability to think well. And so that kind of, that's what happens with these people. In verses 1 through 12, they're having this party, and someone's like, hey, man, remember that one time, Nebuchadnezzar? They're like, where was it? Was it Jerusalem and Judah? They, like, ransacked the temple, man. I was there. And there's some, like, pretty nice stuff in there. They have all these, like, gold goblets and all those stuff in their temple. Bro, want to be pretty sick if we just went and got that stuff, like, all their like holy relics, and we just like had this awesome party, and that's what they did, right? Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them, making some pretty poor decisions. In essence, what they're doing, they're mocking the God of Israel. And what does this say? They drink wine and praise the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron. Iron, wood, and stone. In essence, they're they're, they're just being an extreme form of sacrilegious. Now, I don't know if if you understand what sacrilegious is. A good example of it is making fun of Christian culture. Um, And so, in a small way, even though I laugh, I I like satire articles like Babylon Bee um, or stuff Christians say. Um, all these kind of jabs at evangelical Christian culture. Um, my favorite one is like I went to a Hillsong United concert, and the whole time there's just like this Jesus rant, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And there is this author. It's like, what are you saying right now? What, what does that even mean? Like, like, like he doesn't know his own name or something. Um, and one of these authors, he wrote an article about that, the Jesus chant in um, in Christian concerts, and he said. You know, I really wonder what God thinks about that. Like, hey, thanks for the shout-out while I'm doing, you know, two second games of Sudoku. Or, you know, like, what, what are we really accomplishing by that? You know? So that, that's kind of an example of being sacrilegious. Like, I'm sure the people in the moment, like, were feeling worshipful, and they wanted to keep saying something, so the name of Jesus sounds good, and they went for it. But being sacrilegious, in a sense, is kind of poking and saying... Um, all you people who take this really serious, it's just a way to make fun of it and to jab at it. And so verse 6 describes what happens when he sees this random hand start writing on the wall, okay? So imagine, like, for a second, everyone's drinking, everyone's drinking, and they're drunk, and there's this hand on the wall. Now, again, something about alcohol, it takes your body some time to process all of that alcohol, and a lot of times people, when they try to sober up, they'll eat, like, starchy breads and whatever. I don't know this by experience. Um, again, a lot of things you see in Chicago. But I'm telling you that you want to see the 
people sober up the quickest is when you see a random hand come out of nowhere and start writing on a wall, right? So um, they see this random hand start writing on the wall. And so verse 6, his face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his knees buckled, like, you know, just like melts. He sinks, like, what is this? Like, what did you put in my wine, bro? What's it teaching us? This arrogance of going and taking God's stuff. How does this apply to us? I mean, that's a, that's a good question. And here's what, I, here's what I think is a point of application for us. God has a way of getting our attention and bringing things back to reality when we need it. Galatians 6, 7 says this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Here's what I'd say to you. Be very careful not to misread the silence of God after you have sinned. To think that somehow because you were not struck by lightning or God didn't get you caught in the act, that your sin was absent from God's sight. You see, this king is like, whatever, like, uh, who cares about the God of Israel, the God of Yahweh? Right? I'm going to worship these gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, and stone. And immediately, they have this, 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 this reaction, that this hand on the wall. And I think there's a sense in which God is looking at the sins of Babylon. The sin of just looking at Yahweh like he's a lesser God, and he's not that important. And God now is finally coming in and saying, we know what the message says, right? Your days have been numbered, you've been weighed, and you've been found wanting. God is now saying, listen, now I, I see your sin, now I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to bring judgment. And I think the tendency for us is to be like me on the, field, on the bus, right? That we do something wrong, and we kind of feel guilty, but then nothing really happens. And we kind of just... Keep moving on. And here's what I like to say. Slow justice is no justice. When you looked at those things that you shouldn't have and nothing happens, didn't mean that there wasn't damage done. Just because when you talk about someone and they never hear about it, doesn't mean that God didn't see it. Just because we think that we can get away with stuff and be invincible and, and sin and, and not have any consequences doesn't mean that it hasn't affected other people and us. Now, I want to be very careful not to say that, like, hey, guess what? You know, if you keep sinning, you're going to wake up one morning and there's going to be a random hand on your dresser writing a message. No, probably not. I don't want to say never. But there's a sense in which we kind of, we're so forgetful that God is the God who is, who is imminent in his creation, where he's everywhere, he sees everything, he knows our every thought. And we act as if our sins and our life and our daily choices have no consequences. You know, it's funny, for me, sometimes I have this picture, okay, like, so three years ago, I might have really struggled with a certain sin. Whether, whether it be swearing, lying, stealing, cheating, 
you know, rubbernecking, whatever it is. Maybe I used to struggle with that a lot, okay? But I've gone, say now, 15 years without this sin. I'm doing pretty good, right? Like, I haven't done this sin in a long time. But let me be very clear. God does not operate in the way that we think. I used to do this, but now I'm clean and sober for 15 years. For God, he stands outside of time and space. And so when God considers our sin, it is all as if it just happened. So the sin that you committed years ago or days ago, it's not like, hell, you've been doing pretty good for a while. It is right there. And so that passage in Galatians, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. God is not fooled. God is not forgotten. God sees everything. And the message of this arrogant king to treat Yahweh, the Lord, as some lesser God, God sees it. Now think about Judah in exile. They have been in exile for 70 years. 70 years. So do you know that Jeremiah 29, 11 passage that everyone loves to quote and put on everything? I was going to say a few things, but literally it's on like, everything. It's on chairs, it's on clothes, it's on wallets, it's on water bottles and mugs and hats and keychains. Like, it's on everything. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, plans to grow you. Do you realize that, that promise was given to people who never saw the fulfillment of it because they died in exile. Oh, God just has the best life for me. Well, the people who originally heard that from the prophet Jeremiah never actually saw that come to completion. And so for 70 years, people have been living in exile, and a lot of them died in exile, never making it back to Jerusalem. And here's the message that Daniel is giving. Hey, guess what? God will punish the Babylonians for what they did to God's people. And even though King Balthazar is so arrogant and prideful to take the Lord's things, he paints a good picture for us. The Lord is not blind to our sin, that there will come a day of reckoning. So let's lead us to our second point. In verses 13 through 23, I see the king's warning. Right? So Daniel kind of begins to give him this history lesson. He's like, hey, you, you knew about King Nebuchadnezzar. You knew that he was taken out and he was, kind of became a wild man. And he actually repeats the verse that was really important in last, um, last section, right? Um, in verse 21, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he wills. So what he is saying to him, he's reminding him, hey, you knew the story of Nebuchadnezzar. You knew that God humbled him and sent him out to be a a wild man until he came back and he humbled his heart. But you didn't choose to listen. This king, he hears the story of someone being humbled and says, oh, that's cool. That sucks for you. But he lives his life as if, Nothing's going to happen to me if I continue to live the way I want to live. Now, this point is um, it's short and brief, but I think it's really important. For you as a high schooler, observe the example in the life of people who have lived before you. 
Take notice of the people who have done well. Take notice of the people who have blown their lives up. Take notice of of the wise and of the foolish man. And seek to do what the wise man is doing. Shouldn't this king have known that if he treats Yahweh like a, a lesser God, if he is sacrilegious, if he sets himself up and takes this rule and reign, Right? Isn't he like the, the picture of someone who has been given authority and power and has only used it for his own good? And so Daniel's like, you're a, you're a dummy, man. Like, what's the matter with you? And I think for high schoolers, that you would do so well in life if you took notice of the people who the Lord has put around you, and some, you know, hey, I love this person, but I saw what happened, and I'm not going to do that. I saw where this person ended up, and I'm going to avoid what they did. And the Lord in his grace sometimes gives us examples of people who we should strive to be. Paul is not even... uh, Scared to say it, follow me as I follow Christ. If you want a good example, do what I do, mimic me. Right? Don't they say that mimicry is the highest form of flattery? So verse 22, and you, his son, Balthazar, have not humbled your heart that you knew all this. You have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them and you have praised the gods of silver. How, does you, how do you continue to follow down this path of dysfunction when you saw what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? I pray that you guys, in whatever you do in life, you would seek to be wise you would seek to learn from those who have gone before you. You know they say like history repeats itself? Don't let that be true in your life. Lastly, the king's judgment, verses 24 through 30. So verse 24, Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. So just to go over the interpretation a little bit, I know it's a little weird, um, but again, this whole book is speaking in languages that we don't really get. We don't understand kingdoms that well. We don't understand military siege warfare. So this is the inscription that was written. Mean, mean, tekel, parson. So the first word mean means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. So remember back to chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of a statue. Do you guys remember how many parts of gold were on it? Four. Yes. And the, the, the interpretation of the dream was, Daniel gave to Nebuchadnezzar, that there will be four kingdoms that precede the kingdom of Jesus. And it says, you are the first kingdom. And after that came the Medes and the Persians, which we actually find that right here. And then after that came the Greeks, and then came the Romans. And then he said in chapter 2 that God's going to set up an everlasting kingdom. 
And so uh, the second word, tekel, which means weighed, you have been weighed and the scales have been found wanting. The third word with peres, this means divided or separated. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. One of the interesting things that I found in kind of doing some commentary work was the ancient Greek historian Herodotus was talking about this account of Daniel. And he tells us that on the eve of the overthrow of Babylon, there was a great citywide banquet. And during that banquet, the Medo Persian military commander somehow devised a way to divert the Euphrates River that ran into the city. And so what he was doing is he, he lowered the water levels so that the moats around the city sank and that his armies kind of wade across thigh deep. So Babylon, which was like a huge city, supposedly about a million people lived there at the time, 65 miles in circumference. Supposedly, this, this, the, the walls were so wide and so big that you can fit four chariots at one time. That's how wide the walls were. Supposedly so, so secure behind these massive walls, was now being conquered at the very moment Daniel was talking to this king. I thought that was fascinating. So Balthazar thought he was safe. Look at this great kingdom I have. Hey, go get the articles of uh, the, the Jews' gods. We'll just drink from that. He thought he can do sin and treat God however he wanted. He thought that his kingdom that he had built was so great. But here's the thing. The writing on the wall, the party was over. The fall of this great Babylonian empire is simply recorded for us in these last two verses. The very night Balthazar the Chaldean king was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. He was arrogant before God. He didn't care about pleasing Yahweh. He thought that he could do whatever he wanted. But what happened? God came and had him killed and brought in a new empire. So here's the message of Daniel chapter 5. Trust that God will bring judgment to all sin and evil. See, there might even be a sense in your life where you have experienced a small amount of injustice. Think of all of the people Uh, who are persecuted for their faith, who lose jobs, who lose friends, who get mistreated or marginalized. Think of the the modern Jew who would have read this for 70 years, waited for, for God to come and take care of it. And God finally does. And so let me say it again. Slow justice does not mean no justice. So for your life, be consciously aware that every sin does matter. You know, I debated bringing this up, but Jonathan Edwards, in much smarter words than I can ever talk about, says that even though in heaven we'll be completely perfect and redeemed and restored to our original humanity, uh, I was reading this a while back, and, and, he, and he firmly believes that even though there will be no grieving, no sorrow, we will, at one point, be conscious of every single sin that we ever committed. 
And he says that for people who are on both sides of eternity. There's a sense in which God will allow us, when we are finally judged one day, to be conscious of every sin. I think, I think one of the things here that we have to realize is that we should not be arrogant in thinking that God just looks over things. That God doesn't see the thoughts in our heart, the actions when no one is around. And so what is God saying to us here? Ecclesiastes 12.14 says this, God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. The situations vary, the names change, people come and go, but ignoring the truth of God seeing everything has always led people into bitter consequences. Lastly, as, as, as the author of Daniel, which is probably Daniel himself, when you think about him, when he's writing Daniel chapter 5, what was his purpose? To comfort the fearful Jews in exile with the message that even God, their sovereign Lord, can bring down the mightiest kingdoms on earth. But now consider Jesus. Jesus comforted God's people suffering under evil governments all over the world, especially in his time, Roman occupation. Jesus told his disciples this, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you a kingdom. Again, he said, When the Son of Man comes into glory, he will sit on the throne of his glory. Then the King will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Do you see what's so awesome about Jesus? Is he takes down the greatest kingdom of all. And he sets up an eternal heavenly kingdom. And do you know what he says? It is my Father's good pleasure to give you this kingdom. You see, as Christians, we know that every sin that we've committed, small or big, is wiped away clean because of Jesus. We know that on the day of judgment, though we'll be conscious of every sin, that it'll be declared righteous in our behalf because of what Christ has done. And for that, we say yes and amen. However, as Christians, we never continue to run back to the sin that Jesus had to die for. And even though we know we are forgiven, we are redeemed, that is never a license to think that sin is not a big deal to God anymore. That God does see your history and your computer. God does see your private conversations. God does see how you treat people. God does see your relationship with your parents. And as people who are redeemed and bought by the blood of Jesus, we of all people should know that God is never okay with sin. And that he sees everything. And we need to trust that he will take care of sin and evil once and for all. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would give us hearts that rejoice and are full of gratitude for the gospel, but yet hearts that, that mourn deeply over our sin. 
Lord, I pray that we would find encouragement in the fact that you, God, you see everything and you will bring every wicked deed into account one day. God, though there is so much injustice in this world and so many times, God, we have to wait patiently, I pray that we remember that slow justice is not no justice. Thank you, Lord, that you will make all things right. And thank you for the cross, knowing that we, as your people, through faith in Jesus, do not have to carry the consequence of our sin anymore. For that, Lord, we want to praise you. Thank you for these students. I pray, Lord, that you be glorified in this time. Amen.